This is the Straight Dope episode 43, wind, hot, well, American hot, so like not hot to global standards, definitely not high Thai hot, but enough to make my eyes tear up hot. I've got two other wind episodes, and you can go back and listen to those four things. I'm going to recap some of it a little bit, and then I'm going to start talking about where I'm at, because I think this is really kind of the zone that I'm in. And I'm going to have some guests. I'm trying to figure out still the medium for the interviews. I've got a bunch of interviews. I just haven't figured out how to launch them and where to put them. But um, that is on the way. But I'm just going to discuss where I am. And I think that this is kind of the zone that I'm in. But before we get started, I just want to remind you that this project continues because of supporters. The way that you can best support this podcast is to go to riflecraft.com and subscribe. That subscription, for the cost of letting me shoot a couple rounds a month, supports this. It supports programmers and the expansion of analytics on that website that promote helping you become a better shooter and closer to your goals. I really believe that Riflecraft and what we are developing is going to change the rifleman landscape forever. It's going to provide analytics that are quantitative enough to push people beyond where the best shooters of today are faster and more efficiently. So you want to get behind that project and continue promoting more episodes of this podcast. Go over there and subscribe and start logging your targets, but also just Support the podcast because this happens because of them. All right, so let's recap the wind. I am going to refer to things in miles per hour of wind and often refer back to the gun's uh, wind number, the gun number. And to refresh some of your memories, I use a mill reticle in my scope. And when I'm shooting a rifle, I like to figure out the wind speed that moves the bullet at a certain distance, let's say inside of 900 yards, uh, a, a fraction or a, or a decimal relationship to the distance. So if at 600 yards, it moves at six-tenths of a mil, 700 yards, seven-tenths of a mil. And that's relatively consistent for the zone that most of the targets are shot at in competition. And realistically, it's in that zone where your hit probability can be above 95% on most of the target sizes that we're shooting at. So it's a really good concept to wrap your head around, and, and it helps you think in terms of miles per hour and the angle. So if I have a rifle and I'm shooting at 600 yards and 6 miles an hour moves at 6 tenths, then at 700 yards, 6 miles an hour is going to move at 7 tenths. And I can take the relationship of the wind and the distance and figure out what my wind hold is going to be based on that, that relationship. So that's the wind number. Now, I'm always converting miles per hour into what's referred to as full value, meaning 3 o'clock or 9 o'clock wind. And so if I have a 6-mile-an-hour wind coming in from 3 o'clock or 9 o'clock, it's pretty straightforward. At 700 yards, I'm going to hold 7 tenths. 500 yards, I'm going to hold 5 tenths. Around the distance of your gun number, the relationship is about a tenth per mile an hour. And although 
it, you get a little more budget per tenth as it comes in from there and a little less budget per mile an hour as you move out from there. That mile an hour per tenth holds good for like a little zone in there. So you can, you know, on the fly, if you're like, okay, I've got a six mile an hour gun, but it's eight miles an hour at, at 600 yards, it's going to be 0.8. But um, at, at, at 700 yards, I'll probably still only add two tenths to that, right? So I'm going to hold um, nine tenths or something like that. So you start getting quick at those calculations. And if you have to make them on the fly, uh, the more practice that you do, the better, the faster it comes. Now, if we now now we're talking about three o'clock and nine o'clock, but let's say a wind is coming in at forty-five degrees to that. Forty-five degrees um, is seventy-five uh, percent of the wind hold. Now, if you're not familiar with the Jackmaster windrows, you need to go over to Sniper's Hide and Google the Jackmaster windrows. That essentially is a rose that gives you the cosine relationships or the the, the fractional relationships of a full value wind as you start cutting those angles. Because as you'll see, as the wind speed increases, it's much more important for you to know the angle than splitting the miles per air to the single mile an hour. Now, this is where it gets really complicated, I think, because you know, when you read books like Brian Litz's um, Applied Ballistic Books, you know, he'll, he'll, he refers to a good shooter being able to read to one mile an hour and a medium shooter being able to read to three miles an hour and a beginner to five or six miles per hour. Um, being able to read the wind as best as you can obviously is going to give you the, the higher probability of hitting a target. Uh, so, uh, you know, depending on, on your shot group or your craft number, but being able to read the wind speed and predict how that wind speed may change between you and the bullet and then being able to predict that angle is a huge determinant of hit probability, particularly first round hit probability, because there are ticks and tricks and, and games that you, uh, or kind of game like tricks that you can use to make corrections and get hits on plates, like let's say at a competition or in, or in stage setups or in training exercises, where you know, once, once you see that first shot, you can make a correction and follow a pattern and get impacts on those plates. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you understand what the wind speed is, what the angle is, or what's actually happening. It just means that you're able to respond well and get those hits. Now, that, that might be all that's important to you. So maybe like that's good enough. But for somebody who wants to continue to become a better and better rifleman, being able to understand the wind is going to be that feature that will probably separate you know, a good shooter today from a great shooter tomorrow is going to be the one that actually understands the win and can think about those details and, and improve beyond just making a correction. But there is a time and a place, you know, especially in competition, for just being able to respond and make a correction, not necessarily understanding what the wind speed is exactly, but being able to understand how to make up for that and then how to take that correction and put it on a plate. So, one thing that I've done is, is I've gotten a lot of books. And one of the best books that I've read recently is The Wind Book for Rifle Shooters uh, by, by Linda Miller and uh, Keith Cunningham. And it's got a ton of really cool information kind of compiled and collected in there. And, and it, I didn't really see anything that I hadn't seen in other sources, but it is a great collection of wind information. And, and there's a couple things that I want to talk about because it overlaps with content that we had discussed previously in terms of your gun number and then looking at the angle that the wind's coming in 
and then being able to make those make those corrections. Now they don't talk about things in that particular way, but they do talk about uh, you know wind speeds because because largely the application of shooters uh, for that book, like the context, is a different style of competition than I do. And, and it seems to me like these shooters are able to actually go to a range and study the range and take days, sometimes days, to actually develop like a map and a study of what the wind's doing and how it's affecting their bullets and their impact. So they can actually kind of map out what the wind's doing. They can take note of wind flags all over the range and figure out how to accurately read those indicators to put shots on paper at distance. And so that's pretty cool. It's informative in in a number of ways. And then in a number of ways, it doesn't relate at all to field shooting. but let's take the ways that it, that it does. First of all, they're, they're really getting into the nitty-gritty of wind speeds. For example, they're talking about a gentle wind being 4 miles an hour, moderate being 8, fresh being 12, strong being 16, very strong at 20. And I want to say, like, we got Colorado or Western strong out here at 30, right? Now, what that means to me is that, you know, they're kind of thinking in these four mile an hour chunks, right? You got basically no wind of zero to four, four to eight, eight to 12. Now, four miles an hour, according to, to Brian Litz and others, like reading the wind to four miles an hour maybe is not super hard in the context of being able to go out and study the effects of the bullet. And you could certainly feel and see the difference in four mile an hour wind brackets on a range, especially if it's outfitted with flags and there's and there's leaves and trees and all sorts of things that you can indicate there. But but I think that there's something to be said for thinking about it in terms of those four mile an hour chunks and how that might affect the cartridge that you're shooting and the drift that may result from uh, four mile an hour chunks of of wind, because if you're thinking in in big four mile an hour chunks, you know that allows you to, to then dissect things down from there. So I think that's a good that's a good start. Now I I think that you know out here typically in Colorado I'm reading around three miles an hour, but 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 let's just back up for shits and we'll just say four miles an hour. Let's say if you can read the wind to four miles an hour, um, you know w- what does that look like and how would you get to there? Well, for me, what I would do first. Right, and this is explaining things that I had mentioned in previous podcasts. But let's say, like, we went out here, and I was going to do a wind training day, and I might take six shots on that wind training day. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to feel the wind. I'm going to put a target out at a specific distance. Usually, what I do is I'll put a array kind of in a circle because I can drive out onto public land, and I can drive. I can actually do 360 degrees around the target array that I'm on. So I'll put out the targets, and then I'll drive out. In, you know, to, to, to where I know I can drive around it in 360 degrees. And, um, you know, I'll stand up on the hill and I'll try to get a sense for, for the direction that the wind's coming in and the wind speed. And then I'll pull out my Kestrel and, and I'll see how close that matches. And, of course, I'm going to use my Kestrel. Like, I'm not trying to make it extra hard on me. But I, would, I do want to pay attention to, like, can I feel it, um, you know, on my face, my hair, my skin? How fat, you know, is it wiggling my clothes? What, what do I notice without technology? And in terms of the direction. And then I'll pull out my Kestrel. I'll see how close that is. And then a lot of times what I'll do is I've got my, my hearing protection, the digital hearing protection. I'll see what the difference is when I've, when I've got the, um, like my earmuffs. I had Harrison Sons like digital plug-in ear pro, but they, they broke. And I, like, that's the second pair I 
broke and they're really fucking expensive. And then the digital muffs are so cheap that I've kind of gone back to cheaper rather than more expensive ones because when things stop working, it's a pain in the ass to ship them in to get them fixed. And anyway, but I'll try to see what the wind feels like when I'm facing into it on my ears. You know, I'm 47, so I'm getting older. There's hair growing on my ears and my nose and on the back of my neck. And But fortunately, hair is a is it kind of helps in your wind detection strategy. And so I'll face into the wind and I'll see, you know, what does the wind sound like coming into my ears when I'm facing it and when I turn sideways? Then I'll put on my digital ear pro and I'll do the same thing. And I'm starting to be able to, like, detect some wind differences between, you know, no hearing pro and then the digital hearing pro. And um, I think that that's pretty cool. And then what I'm going to do is... I'm going to take the Kestrel and I'm going to turn it perpendicular to the wind so that the little um, the, the little propeller in there stops, right? Because that means that it's facing perpendicular to the wind. And I'll, like, draw a line in the dirt or something so that I could say the wind is coming in from that angle. Then what I do is I pull out my binoculars and do, like, the Emil Praslik thing where I'll, I'll look into the wind to see where there's no mirage. And... Even if the wind is pretty strong, if you're looking straight at it, you could see a boil in the distance. And fortunately, where I go shoot and do wind practice, out here in Colorado, uh, unlike a lot of people's um, understanding of Colorado, the eastern half of the state is totally flat like Kansas. And so that's where the grasslands are that I go uh, shoot at, the public land. And then to the to the west of my house is all mountains. And so you can go up into the mountains and shoot in the mountains, or you can go out east. Or, you know, and for me, fortunately, like it's all pretty close, like within an hour. And then I'll look at the, I'll look into the boil and I'll see if the line that I drew is different than the, the mirage of the binoculars because you're looking off into the distance. There might be a little bit of curving of the wind. Like, I mean, you think a wind is going straight, but if you look at weather maps and you look at, at um, how pressure systems work, the, the wind you know, depending on whether it's a high pressure or low pressure system is, is kind of turning clockwise or counterclockwise. And so I try to take note of that, like is, you know, which way is the mirage? Um, and it, and it tends not to be perfectly straight in line with the Kestrel line that I drew. And I'll double check again. I'll draw the line with the Kestrel and I'll look for the mirage of the binoculars. And I'll note, is it, you know, is it, is it leaning to the left of the line or to the right of the line? And, 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 uh, I'll write that down. So then, you know, I'll take that line and I'll, I'll figure out the angle to the target. And if you really get anal about it, you can change the Kestrel setting to degrees. And, and you can plug in the specific degrees of wind. Or you can take out your Jackmaster windrows and you can line it up. And you can do the Emil Praslik chunks of 30 minutes, like 30 minutes on a clock. Right? And so to refresh your memories, the 30 minutes on the clock method, or if you're facing straight at it, it's zero. And then 30 minutes to the right or left is 25. And then, so like what would be 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock would be 50, right? That, we're, tra we're talking about percent. So 25, 50, 75% would be like a 45 degree angle or 130 or 1030 or 430 or 730, right? And so we got 25, 50, 75 and I get it. If you do the cosine, it's like 71-something percent, right? But but we're talking about things that you can do off the top of your head. And I, I think it's a little bit easier for me to calculate 75% of a number 
than it is 71% of a number. But if you can split hairs like that, great. Do the actual cosine value and you'll be even more shit hot. But I'm not there yet. So until I can shoot the difference between 71% and 75%. Now, having said that, like a 36 mile an hour wind, like I probably could shoot the difference. But, but um, you know, for the most part, I'm thinking 25, 50, 75. And then I think 90, 95, 100. Right, and that means of of the full value. If you're just using that clock method, if you're plugging in the degrees to your Kestrel, it pumps it out for you, and so you can get a little bit more split hair. And then you make your decision, and you take a shot, and you see how far from your aim point you miss on the plate. And then I'll drive, you know, 45 degrees to 90 to 100 degrees from where I took that shot, and I'll start the process over. And I might know, okay, the wind is 18 miles an hour, but the angle is going to change. The distance is a little bit different, and now I'm going to try to to slow. You know, I'm going to try to gather that information the best I can, and go through my process, writing it down, making those decisions. Okay, and then looking at the subtle terrain effects that might be playing into a, um, you know, maybe if it was a tenth right or a tenth left of center. But for the most part, like when I do this strategy, I'm not really missing more than a tenth right or left um, often, but. But but I would I would I would have to like when I'm when I'm honest about the assessment that method of determining wind speed and direction you know I would say plus or minus three miles an hour is kind of where I'm functioning right now so I feel like I could probably be able to tell you whether it's gentle moderate fresh strong or very strong right and and um, and the angle that it's coming in from and be pretty close depending on the size of the target now that that's an interesting point though right because if you have a rifle and the wind number is small, that three miles an hour uh, at the distance that you're shooting could, could be uh, relatively significant. And, and so the size of your target is going uh, to play into your hit probability. If, if, uh, if, if, if my shooting craft number is, um, you know, let's say, you know, just for shits, let's just say it's an inch or, or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm just going to round it down to, to 0.3. And then I have uh, three miles an hour of wind budget. So that's another 0.3. That's 0.6. And if I'm shooting at a, at a, at a, at a two MOA target, that's going to be um, 0.72. So that, that I've still got budget. So I would say that, that at, at 600 yards, I'm most likely going to hit a two MOA target first round, right? Using that method. Now, here's where we start layering in things that I consider hot. And, and you may or may not, and I've been testing out all sorts of things to try to figure out what it is. But when I do that method, I'll write out um, like a little graph of my wind holds with like the high and the low. And, and that way, when I have my targets and the distance and the angle, um, I'm trying to figure out, okay, if the wind is coming from a constant direction and I'm changing the angle to the target, from one to the next, then hopefully if I got the angle right, the angle will carry over, but it might not necessarily translate over. So you have to have a game plan that can compensate for that angle shift. And sometimes it works great because you know the wind is, is going to be coming from an angle that you, you could predict pretty well. And sometimes it's not. And, um, and so that's where I think a lot of the elements that we hear about at, at the introductory level, I actually place them way higher than, than other things like Mirage and like 
the foliage moving and the rattling of your clothes. And, and let me explain why. I'm going to explain why because I don't think that when you're learning something and you're layering it in, you can't pay attention to that stuff. For example, when you're learning how to drive, could you, you know, can 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 you tell me like how it feels on the back of your shirt and underneath and and what your your shoes feel like? Fuck no. You're you're so focused on learning to drive. Or when you're throwing darts, uh, you're focused on the the target and you can't tell me what song's playing on the radio or and, and all that other stuff. So when you're shooting, I have a hard time believing that you have the mental capacity. And I'm not calling you dumb. I'm saying that, that humans, we devote attention, right? We have, we have a certain amount of attention, just like the 100% episode, right? You have, a, you have 100% of your time during the day, and you devote 100% of that to the things that you do. Now, you might not like it, but it, that's just the way it is, right? By the end of the day, you spent the whole day doing whatever you did. And so it's up to you. But for us, with attention... Um, we don't always get to choose what our attention is divided up into unless we practice things. And, and, and um, you know, if you listen to Modern Day Sniper, they call it conscious competence and, and that kind of stuff. Well, and, and subconscious competence. And, and although I can't speak for them to know exactly what they're talking about, um, you know, and in cognitive psychology, they talk about a lot of things like that too. But there's only so much you can pay attention to. And when you see what you're looking for, uh, I have heard and I have read... Uh, studies about you know, kind of being overwhelmed by the thing that you found. So if we're looking for a target, it, th- th- what, what, what these researchers have, have suggested is that when, when you find your target for a second, that's all you can see. And so your ability to process that information is limited because your senses are a little bit overwhelmed in processing all the stuff, in, you know, including, hey, look, I found what I was hoping to shoot at. And so the more you practice certain things, the better you'll be able to get at hearing and seeing and feeling all that other stuff. So uh, think about this scenario. And, and I've heard um, other shooters, and I've, I've been at classes, and I've been at, 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 at competitions, and I've heard podcasts of shooters being like, you know, we were all on the glass, and the shooter was down there, and we all felt the wind shift, but the shooter didn't feel the wind shift, and they you know, didn't hold enough wind to compensate for that felt wind shift, right? Because their senses were overwhelmed doing the, the procedures that they were trying to do. They didn't feel the wind. And, or, or of course they felt it, right? Because the, the, those organs of sense that you have, they're going to detect it. It's just that your awareness, your conscious consciousness didn't process it. So the shooter's like, oh, I mean, I've even heard good shooters be like, yeah, they actually kind of suck because they didn't, they didn't catch that little shift. It's like, man, A, that's pretty rude. And B, it's like, yeah, well, let's let's see what happens when you get down there because it's very hard to do. But as you improve in your skill, you're able to take in and feel and sense it. I mean, to the point of like, you know, my guess is that a really high-end competitor would not only be able to see the target in their dope, but they'd be able to, to, to sense and understand cognitively the wind on their cheek, the smell of, you know, the smell of the dirt, the all the sounds that were going on around them because they've practiced to the point where they're able to take that stuff in and process it and see what's going on. But I think what separates, especially me from some of the top shooters that I think are, are, are better. And, and, and for sure there, there's some guys that, that I really look up to and, and admire in their ability to do some of this stuff. And, uh, and, and so I've talked to them and then they're able to see the mirage while they're shooting and be able to make 
um, a visual and a mental reference to what the Mirage looked like when they were glassing. And then while they're shooting, confirm that Mirage either looks the same as it did. Now, they might not be like, oh, you know, it's 45 degrees so, or, it's, or, it's, or it's a long wave, so all of a sudden it's a fresh. I don't, I don't know that they're doing that, right? But, but I do know that they're able to take in what the Mirage looked like when they were glassing and other people were shooting or they were glassing and nobody was shooting or they're looking through their glass. They're able to take a snapshot of what that Mirage looked like and does it look the same? And I think that, you know, when you're looking through glass and... When, when you're looking through your rifle scope, you could probably tell, oh, that Mirage looks like it's going fast or slow. And so you could probably be able to tell, like, oh, it looks like the Mirage sped up a little bit. Now, if you've been sitting around with your Kestrel, you've been sitting around, you may have a feeling of, oh, well, we've been going between moderate and fresh or between 8 and 12 miles an hour. So when it speeds up, it, that likely means that it's not around the 8 bracket, it's around the 12 bracket. So you maybe add 2 more miles an hour three more miles. You know, I wouldn't do something drastic, but again, it may warrant something drastic. You just never know. The, the, the key point that I'm making here is that it's something that I'm working on, but I'm not quite able to do at the level that I would like to be able to do it. On the other hand, like I've, I've literally watched good guys in the field. I say, man, I dropped that shot and I didn't catch, you know, something. And they're like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I, I did a similar thing, but I saw it, so I made that correction. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool, um, you know, and kind of debrief them and talk specifics and details on how they do it. So I want you to think about that. I think that that is one element of being able to, to, you know, if you were taking a belt test and you were going from like yellow belt to blue belt or blue belt to purple belt, or you know, I mean, I don't know how belt stuff like that works, but let's say, you know, in this zone, right, it's a medium caliber skill set, right? It's reading the wind at three miles an hour and being able to tell what your gun number is, knowing the distance, knowing the direction, knowing the angle, that's all pretty elementary. That doesn't mean it's not hard to do. But, but it's also not hard to get that information. But then it's hard to be able to take that, process it, and take note of those subtle changes that are taking place visually and cognitively recognize that visual shift and turn that into a, oh, I know how to hold a little bit off. You know, I'm going to hold a little more wind. I'm going to hold a little less wind. And then learning by actually going out and doing it and seeing that it works or it doesn't work, right? Because that that's the the take home from this is that you got to be able to go to the range and prove it. You got to go be able to prove your skill and that's going to speak for itself. If 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 you go out and I guess like, you know, here's here's where I feel about all of this stuff. If if you go out, let's say you take a class and you come home and you don't get better and then a couple of weeks later you're still the same, you're still the same shooter, right? Like you you wasted your time and your money. Or let's say you're like, man, I'm going to go to the range every single day or every single week. And we could apply this to just about anything like exercise and fitness and sports or whatever. If you're, if you're, going to, if you're not getting better regularly, like, and I'm not talking about like you're not going to get stronger or faster every week. But periodically, if you're taking measurements and you're not getting better, what you're doing right, isn't, it, you don't, you're not providing the right stimulus. And you might be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I keep doing this set and this set and these reps and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't provide the stimulus for growth. And so you have to find the right stimulus and change those and adjust those for growth. And I think that, you know, you want to start with the basics, like wind speed, direction, gun number, angle, and, 
you know, understanding the ballistics of your rifle, your capability in terms of your shooting group, and then you need to start layering in those those higher level skills. I think those higher level skills are being able to read the shifts in mirage and being able to read the shifts in vegetation, uh, and also being able to read the effects that the terrain may be having before you take that first shot. But after you take the first shot, it's a completely different scenario. Uh, I mean, you would still need to pay attention to those subtle factors, but you no longer need to pay attention to the fact that your Kestrel told you it was 12 miles an hour and the angle was this, because at this point, you've switched over into what, uh, you know, what works best is usually like, um, I don't, I don't, there's no term for it, but it's kind of the gamer table where you have your target and then you have, um, you know, across the top of your arm board or the little data card, you've got, you know, maybe five miles an hour, six miles an hour, seven miles an hour, eight miles an hour, and you basically create a grid, a battleship grid. And once you take that first shot, you know, okay, it hit where the six of, you know, the six grid is. So now when I go to the next target, that's going to be the number under the six, and I'm going to follow that column down unless it was right or left, and then you go back to the column underneath the left or the right, and you basically just play battleship at that point. But then what you want to do afterwards, what would be an advanced level, is figure out, okay, what was your initial wind speed, right? Your initial calculation, and and if it was wrong, you go through that little battleship drill, but afterwards you have to debrief yourself. Okay, I thought it was 12 miles an hour, but I held for six. I'm still getting 12 miles an hour, but I held for six. And so then you have to take that windrose and look and say, okay, it was 12 miles an hour and I held for six. So, and, and here was the angle that I was initially holding. Now, if, if it's coming in at that angle, you readjust the direction that the wind was coming in and you look around and you say, gosh, was there an indicator? Was there a terrain feature or something? And then you debrief yourself so that when you go to the next stage, you're able to take that information and carry it over. Okay. When I, you know, when I felt 12 miles an hour here, the bullet felt six miles an hour. Now that my angle could have been wrong. Maybe there wasn't mirage for you to read or some sort of an indicator, but you need to take that and carry it over and then look for the new indicators and make a new table so that you could try to adjust your game plan when you move from one set to another based on actual data that you've gotten from believing the bullet, right? Because it's each of those experiments that's telling you reality you know, regardless of how much prep and how cool your win thing was, reality just gave you a glimpse at what's happening and you need to trust, trust reality. But then you, then you need to take that information and carry it over and say, okay, I think the wind is actually coming from this direction because I got, you know, the speed wrong or the angle wrong. And then you test it out again. And if that works, great. If it doesn't work, you, you keep revisiting. You kind of go through that OODA loop and you adjust and you learn from that because that's, where the real growth is going to come come back from, right? While you're shooting, great. Just make the corrections and get them on plate. But while afterwards, you need to take that data that you had and say, what worked and what didn't? And then where's the wind actually coming from? And what are the effects of this stuff that I'm shooting in so that your next stage can can um, can kind of piggyback, right? Or, 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 or stand on the back of your previous stage and learn from it so that then you have kind of amplifying success rather than every time just kind of scratching your head and being like, oh, dude, like this is crazy. Uh, because you can really learn throughout a whole day of shooting if you approach it that way. And I think that that is a, actually a very advanced skill. It's just being able to recognize 
those subtle parts is the advanced part because all of us experience it. But we don't all take that data and then go back and create a little cheat sheet where we can refine what we're learning by watching what's happening to the bullet downrange. And that's a benefit of traveling to new places because it's terrain that you're not familiar with. And it's the benefit of carrying around paper and pencil and really thinking about it, not just kind of blindly doing the same repetitions as you go up to every every time you're going to shoot. If you just do the same thing and you expect it to be different, all right, you're going to be disappointed. And so being able to reflect back and then when you start over each time, don't just do the same damn thing. Learn from the previous experience and then try to piggyback that so that your next one is a little bit better and the next one is a little bit better. And hopefully you would go from, you know, maybe starting with a plus or minus four mile an hour and then you, you take all that data. Maybe the next one is plus or minus three miles an hour now. And then you take that and maybe it's going to be plus or minus two mile an hour because now you've got all this information that you can use to better your wind prediction. That doesn't mean that your wind predicting ability necessarily went from four miles an hour to two miles an hour, but using all that information on that day, you now have enough information to take out some of the the guesswork that you started with, because now you have a lot of data that you've been gathering on specific miles per hour. So start layering in when you get on your glass and you're ready to shoot, take that mental snapshot of what's the mirage doing and what are the leaves doing because you looked at it before you got on your rifle. You said, all right, before I shoot, I'm going to go through my shot process. I got my target. I got my sight picture. I'm anchored. I've got my dope dialed. I got everything ready. Close my bolt. Got everything set. And before I take my, before I start my shot process, I'm just going to, you know, for a fraction of a second, verify that my indicators look the same or not. And if they don't, I'm going to hedge things a little bit right or left of where I intended to shoot based on that and see if that works. And then try that and record whether it worked or not and and continue to develop your process and continue to refine your ability to read the wind. Because right now, that's what's separating good shooters from hitting targets. And so... That is the skill that we need to be working on the most. And you can work on it all the time. You don't even have to be shooting, but start there. I think that that is spicy. Looking at those indicators before you pull the trigger to validate visually that your references haven't changed. That's going to change your hit percentage. And it's going to lead you towards being a better shooter and understanding the effects that the environment has on the bullet. So anyway, to make a short story long, uh, that is American Spicy. And the next wind episode, whenever that's going to be, that'll probably be like just spicy because the rest of the world probably has a more even standard for spicy. But, but I think uh, here, spicy is not so spicy. But it's still more spicy than medium. And, uh, and that's that. So, uh, man, we hit 11,000 listeners. We're averaging um, 5,000 downloads a week, which is it's, that's totally nuts, right? Uh, there's a lot of you listening, and, and like only a tiny, tiny fraction are subscribing. So you got to be gaining something from this, and so I'm asking you to subscribe to help support this project because it's very 
important so that we can start pumping uh, programming back into the website and more analytics. We got some cool features coming out with wind prediction and hit group size probability and some of that. Some of that is going to be added to the subscription side and some of that is going to be kind of tables provided from data that we extract from people who come to the course, the unconventional skills assessment, where we kind of guide you through a, a course of fire and we grab specific metrics for you. And it, it's, it's kind of like a coaching thing, right? It, it, so it'll, be, it'll look like a competition. It'll kind of run like a course, but it's you shooting and us talking to you. But then and the, the takeaway is that you essentially get one-on-one coaching Right. And, and that coaching is specific for you because what's going to make you better is not what's going to make your friend better. And it's not what's going to make another shooter better. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that, that um, you know, once we have enough people, I'll probably try to make a shooting team just to show that this can kind of lead the way in terms of performance. But, but I don't think that there's a shooter out there that couldn't benefit from knowing what their strengths and weaknesses are and where they need to improve to get closer to whatever their goals might be. And so I think it's going to be really fun. Some of that data is going to come out and we'll see some of it. Uh, some of it's going to stay private to the people that come. And some of that's going to spill over just as general predictive tools for you based on your craft numbers and your wind reading ability and, and show you what the predictive hit percentage on targets of specific sizes or designated sizes might be based on your wind reading and your positional shooting capabilities. And we're going to break it out into not not as a whole, like based on your craft number, but it's going to be like prone, kneeling, seated, standing, and the target size is based on the wind that you're going to be. So, so I think that's pretty cool. And that's coming soon to the subscriber end, uh, kind of where the... Um, the shooter bracket data is we're going to have another one that has you know not only shooter bracket but also extended range probability based on your caliber and uh, gun win number uh, and it's general right we're not talking about um, applied ballistics uh, you know splitting splitting the hairs but 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 you know in a conservative way here's kind of where you're at and the kind of things that you'll be able to hit and not hit until you're able to bring your wind speed down and your uh, shooting group down. And I think that's all information that really empowers any rifleman to know what their capabilities are and where they need to put effort in order to get the most gains. You're going to make the most gains from addressing that weakness because that'll spill into all of your strengths. But um, you hear me say that a lot. Uh, so until then, go out and, and keep practicing your wind direction, wind spree, speed, wind angle, gun number, and now get visual reference markers for indicators. And before you take every shot, verify those indicators. Till next time.